Well, it seems there was a fitness center that was offering uh, $1,000 to anyone who could demonstrate that they were stronger than the manager. Now, the manager was a muscle man who would squeeze a lemon until all the juice ran out of it into a glass, and then he would hand the lemon to a challenger. And anyone who could squeeze one more drop out of that fruit would win the cash prize. And many men tried. Other weightlifters tried. Construction workers tried. Nobody could wring out a single drop. But one day, a slight-built guy who looked like he'd never seen the inside of a gym came in and signed up for the contest. Once the laughter died down, the strong man grabbed a lemon, and he put the pressure to it. After a few seconds, he handed the dehydrated, wrinkled remains to the challenger, and the crowd watched in stunned silence as the little guy clenched his fist around the lemon, and he squeezed three drops, fell into the glass, and the crowd cheered, and the manager handed over the prize money, but he had to ask him what he did for a living. Are you a lumberjack? Are you a wrestler? Or what? The man replied, no, I work for the IRS. And Well, this weekend, we're focusing on a, another slight-built IRS man who collected taxes from Rome from his own politically and militarily oppressed people, the Jews. His name was Zacchaeus, and we read about his personal encounter with Jesus in Luke 19. 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For well, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Well, at the end of Luke chapter 18, on the outskirts of Jericho, Jesus restored sight to a blind beggar who became his follower. So now he moves from the bottom of the social and economic scale, a blind beggar, to the top of the social economic scale. Jesus enters the city of Jericho and gives his undivided attention to Zacchaeus a wealthy government official. 
But his wealth was acquired through a flawed system, which would make a dishonest person out of about anyone. His job was to collect whatever taxes the Roman Empire required, and then he could pad that number with whatever additional collection fee he wanted to assess for himself. So the Romans really didn't care as long as they got their due, and Zacchaeus enriched himself by taking advantage of his own countrymen. It made him prosper, but it did not make him popular. He was eminently wealthy, but exceptionally resented. And any self-respecting Jewish rabbi would have harbored deep-seated contempt or outright hatred for tax collectors, but one. There was one young rabbi who loved this tax collector. And he redirected his life. And he realigned his value system. And he redeemed his soul. And Zacchaeus serves as a model disciple. He is a perfect example of what we're calling every member of Crossroads to do. First of all, to follow Jesus. Second, to be changed by Jesus. And third, to be on mission with Jesus. First, Zacchaeus followed Jesus. Look at verses 3 and 4. He wanted to see who Jesus was, so he ran ahead and climbed a tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zach, if I can call him that, went to some trouble to see the Lord. He was shorter in stature, and he knew better than to try to worm his way to the front of a crowd that was assembled to watch Jesus enter the city. No one would have excused him to get a better place to stand. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up into a tree, and he waited. Because even though he was monetarily rich, he knew he was spiritually destitute. Even though he was thought to have it all, he knew Something was missing. Even though he could buy anything he wanted, he didn't have what he needed to fill the void in his own heart. Charles Swindoll says it this way, Zacchaeus knew something was missing. Most folks do. They try to drown it in a bottle of alcohol, lose it in a fog of drugs, crowd it out in work and activity, or bury it in the shallow grave of bravado and tough talk. But when it gets quiet and no one is around but you and God, reality sounds as loud in your soul as a blast on a thousand trumpets. So he did not just want to see Jesus. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to figure out what it was that made Jesus different from everyone else. He was drawn to this man who had just given sight to a blind beggar on the outskirts of town. And he may not even have understood what was going on in his own heart, but he had a desperate need to get to Jesus, and he was determined to see who Jesus was. And although it would have been very undignified for a wealthy man to run, certainly not very dignified to climb a tree... Nothing was going to keep him from seeing who Jesus was because it was more than seeing Jesus, friends. He was seeking Jesus. And in this text, we learn a wonderful truth about the love and grace of Jesus. While we're seeking him, he's also seeking us. 1 John 4, 19 says, he loved us first. He sought us first. 
And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And he came at once, and he welcomed him gladly. Now, Jesus addressed Zacchaeus by name, and he gave him two commands. The first one, come down immediately. Climb out of that tree now. There's always a sense of urgency about following Christ. Have you noticed? That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. He said, come down immediately. And then Jesus gave him a second command. I'm going to stay at your house today. I want to stay at your house today. The only place in the four Gospels where we read that Jesus invited himself to someone's home. And he did it to reinforce what his ministry is all about, to seek and save sinners, sinners whom he knows by name, sinners whom he loves, sinners whom he wants. And the evidence that Zacchaeus followed Jesus is revealed in the words in verse 6 of Luke 19, so he came down at once and welcomed him Gladly, So he's got this great sense of acceptance, something he didn't enjoy in Jericho, but he received from Jesus. He's got this great sense of acceptance, and he's got this greater joy, so he welcomes Jesus into his home. And after breaking bread together, Zacchaeus pushed himself away from the table, and he made an announcement that revealed as a new disciple he had also been changed by Jesus. In verses 8 and 9, Zacchaeus said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, once you decide to follow Jesus, once you decide to welcome him gladly and let him make his home in your life, you will not be the same. You'll begin to undergo a process of change. Some of those changes happen rather quickly. He changes your value system, what you consider important, what you consider valuable. Other things may change more gradually, like your behaviors. But no one who becomes a disciple of Jesus remains unchanged. If they truly become his disciple, they will not remain unchanged. And the phrase here and now indicates that Zacchaeus, he's ready to commit. He's ready to make some changes. He voluntarily made a radical commitment that indicated he was totally sold out. He was all in. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, wrote in one of his documented prayers, Lord, I I give you everything there is in this man, William Booth. Do with me as you will. And I can tell you that God loves a prayer like that, that invites his spirit to come in and change you from the inside out. So here's what Zacchaeus decided to do. He renounced his love of money, and he released his love for God. He demonstrated a major shift in his value system. Two voluntary commitments are evidence of a huge change, and the first is a commitment to show generosity to the poor. Here and now, I'll give half my possessions, he said, to the poor. Now, in Old Testament times, it was considered extremely generous to give 20% of your money away. Here, he's giving away 50 
50%. The evidence of his life transformation is his stunning generosity. I'm telling you, before he met Jesus, his money was everything to him. Now, it's not something to live for. It is something to be shared, to honor God, to meet the needs of people in his name. It was Albert Schweitzer who said, if you own something that you cannot give away, then you don't own it. It owns you. But there's a second layer to the commitment of Zacchaeus. It's not only generosity, it's also restitution. He said, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, friends, this is over the top. Old Testament law required only one-fifth of the amount of a fraud be repaid. In other words, if you cheated somebody out of $100, then you had to pay them back $120, a fifth. Zacchaeus is saying he'll pay back four times the amount. That's $400, fourfold restitution. And it is the ultimate in the Jewish culture for making reparations. Zacchaeus knew that his behavior had been dishonest. He was eager to make things right no matter the cost. Zacchaeus learned. You can have job security, you can have financial security, you can have social security, but without spiritual security, things are just not, not going to be right. Is it well with your soul? That's the question. And you have to contrast Zacchaeus with the rich young ruler of a few weeks ago. A lot of similarities. They were both wealthy. They both came face-to-face -face with Jesus. But the rich young ruler, to the rich young ruler, Jesus was just a good teacher. That's what he calls him. But to Zacchaeus, Jesus was Lord. And the rich young ruler was commanded by Jesus to be generous with the poor, but he did not obey. Zacchaeus voluntarily committed half of his wealth to the poor, and he committed to use the other half to dramatically right some wrongs from his past. Sounds to me... Like Zacchaeus significantly reduced the bottom line on his balance sheet, and it was at his own initiation. It was voluntary. It bubbled up out of him. We have no evidence that Jesus commanded him to do that. It just came out of his heart. But don't miss this. The rich young ruler also went away sad. Remember that? But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was glad it's because Jesus said to him in verse 9 of Luke 19, Today salvation has come to this house. Listen, friends. It doesn't get any better than that when salvation comes to your house, to your marriage, to your family. There's absolutely no joy to compare with the joy of salvation. Mark Batterson writes, It doesn't matter whether you're a journalist teacher, entrepreneur, artist, politician, doctor, lawyer, or a day laborer. <laughs> what matters is that you're using whatever you have for God's purposes. Don't just make a living. Make a life. Make a mark. 
make a difference. You don't need to change jobs. You don't need to change circumstances. You don't need to change friends or change spouses. You just need to let Jesus change you. But I want to get to this last part today. There's a postscript on this story, which is really the purpose of it all. Zacchaeus followed Jesus. He was changed by Jesus. And finally, he was on mission with Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus became a disciple. And that's why Jesus came to make disciples. And as the visible body of Christ on earth, it's why we're here as a church, in any church that's not making disciples actively, is purposeless. I think, I think Zacchaeus was smart enough to know what would happen when he went door to door in Jericho with a wheelbarrow full of cash, handing it out to people. People would, would say, what in the world are you doing, man? And he would have a story for them, a story about his life-changing encounter and his personal relationship with the Son of God. And every front door was open to him in Jericho, and every heart's door was open to him in Jericho. People would have been open to hear his testimony. He had a new life purpose, no longer was his only purpose to make money and invest money and spend money and collect money and hoard money. His change in values, his change in behavior was opening up for him a whole new world of relationships, a whole new world of friendships, a whole new world of fulfillment. He's on mission with Jesus now. He's all in for his city now. He's all in for the world now and in the process he realized that when you are all in for your city and when you are all in for the world you you are the primary beneficiary look at the screens please The most gratifying part of our all-in generosity initiative is the discipleship piece. What this initiative will do for each person, each family that goes on the generosity journey with us. In the past few years, we have already seen our heart enlarged as a church. And why is that? It's because in part, our giving has grown. And as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we're excited because by being all-in, the discipleship of our people will be elevated and we will all be deepened in our faith and we will be blessed. In September of 2014, in weekend worship, we renewed our vision, challenging our church family to be united as disciples making disciples. And it's just true that conviction about stewardship is often the last piece to be put into place in the life of a disciple. We want to challenge our people so they will be positioned to experience God's best in the years ahead. Because as God's Word declares, we are more blessed by giving than receiving. Listen, if someone stepped up 
and handed me or our elders a check for $10 million to do all that we envision doing, we would still want to undertake this generosity initiative to challenge and bless our church family. Imagine what this generosity initiative could do in you. Generations have gone before us and have been all in. Now is our time. Each person who calls Crossroads their church home can step up and be part of this journey of generosity as a disciple of Jesus. And we pray that you will. The thing I love about this process is it meets you where you're at. Drew and I started when we were first married. He was in medical school and I was in grad school and we didn't have a lot of money. But as we grew as Christians and as we started to read God's Word and followed His commands, we decided based on what we had learned that we needed to give more. And it was a process. It, it was slow at first, but as we attended church regularly and then we were baptized as adults, that's when we made the commitment that we needed to start giving regularly, and that's what we did. Every one of us has to decide where we fall in, in the giving spectrum. Are we just starting out? Are we seasoned givers? Do, do we have a process that we go through in our giving? I think the most important thing of it is that we all should be givers. We are all recipients of the benefits of belonging to a church family, to a church body, and that requires all of us to have the responsibility to help fund that. One of the things that excites me most about All In is the opportunity for each person to grow in their personal discipleship. I think it's important to remember, as I've learned in my own journey, um, discipleship is just that, it's a journey. And no matter where you find yourself um, on that journey, there's always room to grow. I'm excited because my kids now are old enough to see and be a part of what it means to be all in and to, to get behind um, an initiative here at church that's really gonna change our church in so many ways for the better. And I can't wait to see what comes of all of this and how God blesses us through our faithfulness to go forward in this. I'm excited about the all-in vision uh, just because that money goes into one fund that is then dispersed for projects within the church, within our local community, and really internationally. The scope of that is just phenomenal, but I love it because there are so many different outlets and so much expansion uh, to how and where we can reach people uh, for Christ. It's just amazing to me to think that um, you know, I can be a small part of that. If anybody can, can get out of it what I have gotten out of our church and becoming a Christ follower, and if they can experience the joy and, and the love and uh, the life change that happens, and I want everybody to feel it, and uh, it would just make me so happy um, if we had an impact. And even if it's just for one person, it's worth it. So if, like Zacchaeus, we are true disciples, we'll be on mission with Jesus, investing ourselves in voluntary service, investing ourselves in generous stewardship to seek and save the lost here, near, and far away. And we used to be there, and sacrifices were made so we could be reached, and so we sacrificed that others may be reached. And we come together today possessed of the same spirit that we see in Zacchaeus, 
of our own free will to voluntarily commit more of our resources to accomplish God's purpose through the church at Crossroads. Right now, I want to ask our Crossroads elders out there in the audience to come to the platform. And I want to ask you to find one of those cards, either at the end of the pews or perhaps you brought yours with you this morning. I want to say to those who are visiting this morning, your guests here this morning, that this is for our members. This is for our people who call Crossroads their church home. We've challenged our congregation, 100% of our congregation, to get on a generosity journey with us. And the purpose is so we can make you guess a part of God's family. Two weeks ago, in this room, we had our advanced commitment event in the worship center. And the results were most positive as 100% of our elders, 100% of our pastors, and 100 of our families stepped up the generosity ladder or stepped forward in their generosity. And I want you to be encouraged by what others are doing. Some families that night moved from being occasional givers, just giving when they were in attendance, to becoming intentional givers, disciplined givers. Several families made a decision to begin to tithe. Fifty-five families are moving to the top rung on the generosity ladder to become generous givers, giving above the tithe. And I can't wait for two weeks from today to announce to you our results, the weekend of February 21st and 22nd. I promise you the next two years will be an exciting time of unprecedented advancement in God's kingdom in our area. In chapter 3 of the book of Joshua, God's people have just received the same challenge that we've been considering for six weeks now. Here it is. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, the very next day, after those words were spoken, the waters of the Jordan River at flood stage were rolled back and God's people crossed over from the wilderness into the promised land on dry ground. And as a symbol of their consecration, Joshua directed that one representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel should take a stone out of the Jordan River and construct an altar, and that altar was to serve as a tangible reminder of God's provision and God's favor. And today as God's people, we want to claim this same promise. Consecrate yourselves. That's what all in has been about. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. As church leaders, we began back in the fall to cast our vision for crossroads, undergirding it in prayer. Some of you have been involved in that and undergirding it in daily devotions. And then we've spent the first seven weeks, we will have spent the first seven weeks of this new calendar year immersed in a focused study of what it means to be all in. In our weekend worship, in our small groups, we've been focused on total commitment. And today, right now, our elders on the platform, the spiritual leaders of our church, these men who give their time and energy voluntarily to pray for and to shepherd our congregation, 
They're going to build an altar right here at the front, each of them recounting a time in the history of Crossroads when we experienced God's provision and God's favor. and I've been privileged to be an elder in our church since 1981. On Easter morning of 1967, a new congregation was formed on the east side of Evansville. Originally, it was named Plaza Park Christian Church. As the worshipers gathered that day at a, in a small house on Washington Avenue, a new work began. The dedication and the courage of those 77 who gathered that day continue to inspire us today. Good morning, church family. I'm Randy McGuire. I've been an elder here since 2002. And a journey with me back to 1969, uh, where we erected our first facility on the corner of uh, Cullen and Bellmead. Uh, it'd be hard to articulate how many uh, lessons were taught and growth pains we experienced as we went through four different uh, additions. We purchased five properties nearby the church. Um, we also rented at one time three retail places to store stuff and meet at. And uh, uh, we also ended up with seven acres, but we simply ran out of space on that property. My name's Paul Special, and I've been privileged to be your elder for 15 years. And my stone this morning represents the birth of small groups, 1985. Seven men met every Saturday over the course of a summer to create what would become our small group ministry. Those seven men started seven groups which launched further groups. Many groups today can be traced back to those humble beginnings. Gower and I've been one of your elders for the past 15 years. In the year of 1989, our congregation began to have some growing pains as we have several years. And the leadership in that year decided to suspend with what was then our Sunday evening worship services and to rather devote the entire facility on Sunday nights to our middle school and high school students. It's a practice of ministry that continues even to this day. Since then, we have added our Wednesday afternoon light company series for our elementary students, all in an effort to show the importance of students within our congregation and ministry to the Lord.
I'm Todd Busty. I've been on the eldership since 1986. It's been my joy and pleasure. Growing Pains continues to be a theme uh, all the way into 1992 as we had to expand to another worship hour and figured out where we need to do that. And the congregation decided to offer an alternative day, which was in a time in church life across the country where you would not find another congregation worshiping on a Saturday evening. But we stepped out to do that because it was our heart to see as many people come to worship as they possibly could. Good morning, my name is Tom Webster and I've been an elder since 1996. The year was 1994, it was Easter week, and we converted the worship center at Cullen Avenue into a theatrical stage where we presented Upon This Rock. The play was about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It ran for four nights, and we did it over three seasons, every night to a packed house. The significance of this event was it was the first time that we realized just how we could equip hundreds of people through our music ministries uh, to reach out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning, I'm John Lee Smith. I've had the privilege of serving as an elder for 20 years eight here at Crossroads, 12 at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church in Bloomington, a sister church. But in 1994, 48 people from our congregation boarded a jet bound for an area called the Ukraine, which just a short time before was a part of Eastern Europe. But after the fall of the Berlin Wall, we wanted to participate in establishing a church in that part of the world. But this marked a new beginning for our church a new beginning in our missions outreach where we focus more upon equipping and sending and participating in mission work. Whereas today we're involved with 10 strategic partnerships that employ literally thousands of people in all corners of the globe, sharing the gospel specifically in areas where the gospel has never been preached before. My name is Jeff Whiteside, and I've had the pleasure of serving since 2002. 1998 marked another new chapter where the doors of this facility opened on a Halloween weekend under the newly minted name Crossroad Christian Church. And as a result of that $12 million campaign, we added this sanctuary. We added the atrium, which took care of our fellowship needs. We added a gymnasium and a few classrooms. Subsequently, we've added the student theater, the chapel, and additional classrooms to handle growth. Hello, my name is Matt Volkman, and I've served as an elder here at Crossroads for 10 years. And my stone represents Miracle Day 1999. In 1999, our church faced a significant mortgage payment. It was a time of great dependence on God. 
Many people prayed and many people fasted. And when the weekend offering came, God delivered. Our church raised $1 million, the exact amount required for the mortgage payment. My name's Scott Brooks, and I've uh, served as an elder here at Crossroads for 22 years. Easter 1991, 95, and 2012, the elders at Crossroads decided that there was value in celebrating Easter service with one service under one roof. And in 1991, we went to the then Vandenberg Auditorium and we were there a few years until we outgrew that. And then in 1995, we moved to the Roberts Stadium and we were there for several years. And then once that was, that was uh, torn down, then we uh, went to the Ford Center in 2012. Many people who attended these services for the first time came to know Christ for the first time and some recommitted their life to Christ and today they're serving at Crossroads faithfully. Good morning, church family. My name is Brett Hurt, and I've served on the eldership since 2010. Back in 2005, Crossroads found itself in the middle of a tragedy within our community. A tornado ripped through our community, killing dozens, injuring many lives, as well as devastating hundreds of homes. Crossroads found itself as the central relief facility during the relief and cleanup effort. We were able to mobilize hundreds of volunteers each day to send out into the community. Then in 2010, a massive earthquake rocked the country of Haiti, killing hundreds of thousands. Once again, Crossroads mobilized. We prepared and packaged nearly a half million meals to send. It's efforts such as these that have developed a strong spirit of goodwill within our city and community. For many, they reference Crossroads as the church that cares. Good morning, Crossroads family. My name's Randy Schultz. It's been my privilege to serve as an elder here for 28 years. My stone represents the year 2011, when we were able to retire 100% of our debt, seven years earlier than scheduled. As a result of that, we strategically visioned an investment in various missions since 2011, both here, near, and far away. Those missions include the Worship Arts Academy in Newburgh, the Westside Ministry Center, as well as Community One, a nonprofit that prov provides affordable housing for the inner city. In addition, we have provided 12 church plants in India, a church plant in Japan, and a Young Life ministry for our whole nation. The 
senior pastor at Crossroads for going on eight years, also as an elder, I'm privileged to lay a 13th stone. There were only 12 in Joshua 4, but I'm going to lay a 12th stone. It's one of these little prayer prompt stones that many of you have carried in your pockets for the last several weeks. It says all in. This stone is indicative of our commitment as a church to be all in for our city and all in for our world and all in for the sake of the discipleship of our people. And so this morning, we're going to spend just a few moments in worship. And as we sing and worship, we want to invite you. Many of you have come prepared to bring your all-in commitment, to bring your offering. Today's offering, this will be our offering time as well as our time to receive the all-in generosity initiative commitment cards and envelopes. We want to invite you to come as a couple uh, or as a family to come to the front. And it'll be a little crowded, but it won't take but just a few moments. You come, present your gift at the altar, take your place back at your seats. I'd like to respectfully request that no one leave the worship center during this commitment service. No one leave the chapel during this commitment service. For our folks in the chapel, you may use the platform at the front. There won't be an altar like this, but you'll see on the screen, you'll see the altar. And you can put your, your offering for today and your commitment cards there on the platform. Will you stand with me for prayer? Then we'll worship and you, you come. Let's pray. Father God, what a wonderful season it has been for us to really focus on how to consecrate ourselves, how to be totally committed, how to be all in. Lord, that's what we want. And Lord, we pray that the things that we are doing in the present will impact the future. And there will be a day sometime in the future when our children, our grandchildren, look back on this time in the life of Crossroads as not just a memory maker, but a time when direction was given and vision was extended and victories were won. And so, Father, we pray that every gift this morning and every commitment this morning will be laid at your feet first. And we thank you for the privilege, the joy of the giving life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>